Hey, Forge family. Our last time together was in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and Timothy had returned from his journey to discover how the ecclesias were doing in Thessalonica. One of the issues they were struggling with was, well, what happens to our brothers and sisters in the Lord that have died? They were surrounded by the hopelessness of the Macedonian culture when they had to face the reality of death. Yes, they believed that Jesus, the risen Messiah, was returning for them soon. But, but what about Grandma? We, we, just, we just lost Grandma. Paul takes on the issue with a fresh word from the Lord. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ will certainly rise to meet him in a bodily resurrection and precede the living in their being caught up in the rapture of the church. Now, stop and think. As I've shared, it is, it is possible that such a teaching regarding those who die in Christ might have been spoken by Jesus, but not recorded, and simply passed on as oral tradition. John, chapter 21, verse 25 says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which, if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. So that's a, a biblical possibility, if you will. I have another suggestion for you to consider. After Saul of Tarsus had an encounter with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus and, and subsequent conversion, Saul spent years in the desert, probably in southern Syria. During that time, he was taught by Holy Spirit out of the, quote, all things, unquote, that had been promised by Jesus on the night he was betrayed. Saul was not one of the 12 disciples, yet was accorded an apostolic role based on his call, his face-to-face -face time with Jesus, his potent ministry to the Gentiles, and the affirmation from the Jerusalem Council of the Church. During those years and after, revelation continued to flow to Paul. And it is evident in his epistles that he had received increased revelation as he walked with God. Attached to this podcast is a little chart from the Cultural Background Study Bible that sets the teachings of Jesus alongside of Paul's teachings. Paul was not present when Jesus taught Matthew 24 and the other gospel sections that deal with the, ad, the second advent, the coming of the great day of the Lord. Here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is faithfully delivering the teachings of Jesus that he learned face-to-face -face from Holy Spirit. That last sentence needs to be tattooed on your heart and soul and spirit. All of us in this age of grace are receiving extended, growing revelation of God's ways and plans by Holy Spirit, who is there to teach us all things. Let's pray. God, who raised Jesus from death to life, you freely give us hope that if Christ is in that if Christ is risen, we are promised a bodily resurrection and we will be risen as well. Our calling, our assignment is to press in for the all things taught by Holy Spirit and obedience to those all things. 
We are so grateful for your presence and your walk ahead of us as we learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, open 1 Thessalonians in your texts. We start this time in chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. Now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Verse 1 assures the Thessalonian ecclesias that they are in full knowledge concerning the day of the Lord. But Ford's Church, are we in that place too? Now hold, just hold the question. Okay? Throughout the Old Testament, that phrase, the day of the Lord, the great and terrible day of the Lord, or just the day, was broadly understood as the coming of the Lord in vengeance against those who hated him and who hated Israel, his chosen people. That background was fully in place for the converts to Christ who came out of the synagogues. You know, they, they were now Jewish followers of Jesus. That was not the case for the Gentile believers in the Ecclesias. But Paul and the missions team had taught them thoroughly in their three weeks together and... And they had learned from the mouth of the leaders who rose up in the churches to point to the Old Testament scriptures as background for the second advent, the earthly return of Christ. The knowledge that no one knew the timing of that arrival looks back to the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Jesus, Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives preparing to ascend into the clouds and be seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's surrounded by disciples and followers. And just prior to his saying, you know, remain in Jerusalem until Holy Spirit, wait for the Holy Spirit. They ask him a question. This is what they said. And so when they had come together, they were asking him saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Paul uses Jesus' words as well. Here we have chronos time and kairos time. The former Greek word speaks of the moment by moment, the clock ticking away in the broad passing of the ages. The latter Greek word, kairos, is used to describe the beginning of special seasons of time and strategic times that Father God has set in place. The reference to the thief in the night would have been genuinely alarming to the Gentiles. It was a term not unlike uh, what we hear in our media about home invasion robberies, violent home invasion robberies. Jesus came from the Jewish tradition that taught that the Lord would arrive on the day of the Lord at midnight, and some Jews kept watch accordingly. The essence of that warning from Paul was uh, about the slipping in of the thief does not apply to the believers. It applies to those who are saying and believing, look, peace and safety. We're in a good place. Our retirement funds are full. 
The bottom of the balance sheet is impressive. We have all the toilet paper we can need. And then some. Paul writes, Then destruction and devastating events will come upon Gentiles and Jews, those outside the church, it will come swiftly, alarmingly, suddenly, like the first hard contraction that signals that the birth of a baby is on the way. With huge pain and fear of death for the mother. See, in, in the day of Paul's writing, many women died in childbirth or as a consequence of childbirth, limiting their life expectancy to be in their 20s or 30s. That sudden stab of pain and fear is used by Paul as an illustration that when the moment of the second advent of Christ appears, with it comes great pain and fear for those that are lost. Paul concludes with the phrase, quote, and they shall not escape. Then Paul turns to what the ecclesias know and adds more teaching to their needs. Verses 4 to 6 says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief for you are all sons of light and sons of day we are not of night nor of darkness so then let us not be asleep as others are but let us be alert and sober he reminds the ecclesias that they are walking in light not in darkness and the promised day of the lord may surprise them but they're prepared for it Paul uses the, the words sons here. It's not the term for small children, but rather those who were birthed to inherit at an age set by their father. When he says sons, he means brothers and sisters in the faith. They're not orphaned, but rather closely held by the father, saying, you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. It was the father who rescued you from darkness and brought you into the light of the kingdom of God. Now, Paul uses the Greek word here for sleep. Uh, it's a different word um, for those who are asleep in the Lord. It's, different, it's a different word. This word refers to a drowsy, inattentive, unconcerned lifestyle. Paul calls the ecclesias to alert awareness. In his work on the Thessalonian epistles, Christoph von Bromke makes reference to a drunken midnight feast that was a Thessalonica hallmark as they worshipped the god Dionysus. Paul may be pointing back to the roots of many of the ecclesias and thus the choice between before them to choose light over darkness and self-control over drunkenness. Many English translations use the word sober. In our culture, that usually means not toxicated, not drunk, you know, the designated driver. Here is it should be translated self-disciplined, you know, self-controlled. Kenneth Weiss translate that translate that self-control into a result being mentally and spiritually well balanced as for the new brothers and sisters they're aware of what the darkness offers now they are to choose to live in the light with eyes ears and hearts open and choose to be sons and daughters of the light 
In Greek, the English translation that produces the word let is a mild imperative, but a command nevertheless. It appears twice here in verse 6. Let us not sleep. Let us be alert. You could put in the exclamation points in your text. Verse 7 puts up one side of the contrast. Darkness is when others sleep and drunkards imbibe. Verse 8 offers Paul's best counsel to the ecclesias. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. He is using that mild imperative again. Let us have self-control resulting in a mentally and spiritually well-balanced life that prepares the ecclesias to put on spiritual armor. The first part is the breastplate, which expresses their faith and love. They are to meet emotional challenges with their trust in Christ and love for one another. That is the very self-same, self-sacrificial love of God. His agape love for them. As for the helmet to be put on, Paul cobbles together a Greek phrase that describes what is to be put around the head, which is the hope of salvation. The mind is critical to protect, and Paul orders them to put on this helmet head protector that symbolizes their hope in their salvation. Now, we can have assurance of our salvation in Christ right now. But we are called to hope in its final deliverance to us and in us. I recall in my first year of ministry at Stanford University that I was introduced to a brilliant scientist who had come to Christ. We started into a good conversation in the foyer of a church and it ended with his invitation to me to come to supper. I accepted we, you know, I, you know I, I arrived at his house. It was an, an iconic adobe house about a mile away from campus. And, and on arriving, I was introduced to three young men who were his roommates in the house. There was a, there was a strange vibe around that table. The host was congenial, but the roommates would not look me in the eye. I just decided to pray and put on the kingdom armor. Paul describes in Ephesians 6 that I'd been learning about at church. So under my breath, silently, I, you know, my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, my loins belted up with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Dinner was good. And then the host invited me into his prayer closet to pray. It was an unfinished closet, had a little patch of rug on the floor and a single light bulb. We sat on the floor opposite each other with our backs to the closet wall and began to pray. Now, I discovered that when I prayed aloud in Jesus' name, the fuzz left that room. There was some spiritual fog that came into that room. And when I prayed in Jesus' name, it left. But when I sat and listened closely to the prayers offered by this newly converted scientist, the fuzz came back into the closet. I could feel it. At that stage of my life with Christ, I had little discernment, but I had godly fear. I finished my prayer, thanked him for dinner and facilitated prayer, and I left. Ten years passed, and it became known that my host was gay, and that prayer closet was a trap. 
I have reflected on that evening more than once and have repeatedly given thanks to the Father for effective armor, the power of prayer, and godly fear. Verses 9 to 11 concludes this section. Paul gives the Thessalonians the bottom line. For God has not destined us to wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Paul sets forth the promise of God that those who are of the day who have Jesus Christ in them are not destined or assigned to experience the wrath of God. That was poured out on Jesus on the cross and the blood of the Lamb satisfied all of God's holy anger against those who believe. It then matters not if we are alive or dead in Christ, if we're awake or asleep, we will live with him forever. Lastly, Paul literally writes, quote, Comfort one the one and build one the one, unquote. We are to be in face-to-face relationships in which we comfort and encourage one another, pouring out to that one across from you all that you have to build them up so that their faith is strengthened and, and with it, its expressions. And the Thessalonians were doing that. All right, Forge family, like the Ecclesias in Thessalonica, I have regularly seen us do the, quote, comfort one the one and build one the one, unquote. Whether for health issues, parenting, finances, relationships, employment, Bible questions, it doesn't matter. The last phrase in verse 11 applies to you all, just as you also are doing. I praise God for what is happening in our midst. And as I watch and facilitate the raising up of coming generations in Forge, I see sons and daughters of the Lord who are loving life in the light, not in darkness. Guys, it shows on your countenance. Keep going down the lighted path that is boundaried by self-control that results in being mentally and spiritually balanced. Your breastplate of faith and love shines as does your helmet of the hope of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, your great and terrible day is coming. Thank you for the promises of 1 Thessalonians 5, that your wrath is not our our destiny or assignment. Thank you for your blood that made us right with the Father. Now, Lord, prepare us to walk in the light as your day is coming. We would choose to be those whose lives shine with godly self-control and self-discipline. We bless your name, mighty Jesus. Amen. All right, Forge. God bless you. I love you. We'll be together virtually (laughs) soon.